conversations around good. Yo, we talking. The conversations around good. Yo, yo, we talking. Yo. Conversations, conversations, conversations around the good. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am so excited that you're about to listen in on another episode of the Made Possible by podcast. I wanted to take a quick second to let you know exactly what we do. Made Possible by makes giving easy for community-minded businesses and provide a more effective way to share their stories of good. Now let's jump into the podcast. Welcome to the Made Possible by Podcast, where we have conversations around good with community-minded individuals. We hope that today's episode inspires you to go out and do good. Hello, and thank you again for joining us for another conversation around good. I am Tracy with Made Possible By, and we do two things that Made Possible. We make giving easy for community-minded businesses by providing them a better way to share their stories of good. We help process sponsorship requests, but my favorite part is that we get to make good loud. We get to share stories of good from around the world, and today I'm so excited uh, to be able to connect with this organization and to connect you with this organization with these lovely ladies from the UK. I think you all are our third UK guests, maybe second. I don't know. Julie Tucker, I know Rosalind. Julie Tucker said that she's known you for quite a while. Um, she was our first. So uh, with me today, I have Rosalind Bluestone and Naomi Kitchen of Goods for Good UK. Ladies, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for asking us. We're very excited to be here. Thanks. Absolutely. Lovely to see you today. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, listeners, I want to give you some background. Um, on, I'm going to tell you about Goods for Good, and then I'm going to tell you a little bit more about these fine ladies. Uh, goods for Good is delivering overstocked goods to provide a lifeline to those in need. They provide a service to the UK industry and work with generous industry donors, including Harrods, Regatta, Summerbond, Nike Comfy Quilts, Next, Steiner Outdoor, Safety First Aid Group, and Dune, just to mention a few. Together, they have transported goods across the globe to communities in need, and they are experts at mobilizing both communities and corporations. So I'm really excited for them to get to tell you more about that. But first, I want to tell you about the founder, Rosalind Bluestone. She is the CEO and founder of Goods for Good. Rosalind has over 20 years experience in humanitarian aid export. Born in Northwest London to a working class family, her parents struggled to make ends meet with four children to feed. She was educated at Camden Towns JFS, and she started volunteering at the age of 14, working with the task force there in town, visiting the elderly, organizing events, in the school holidays, she also worked with the deprived children around the area. 
In January of 2002, she started working as a program manager for the World Jewish Relief Gifts in Kind program and was responsible for building up the program from scratch to exporting 33 million worth of humanitarian aid to Eastern Europe and former Soviet Union countries. She visited those countries and communities and the poverty she witnessed there impacted her life greatly. Rosalind managed over 250 volunteers involved in the program. However, in 2013, the charity closed its humanitarian aid delivery operation, but Rosalind did not lose her passion or determination. At the age of 60 in 2014, Rosalind decided to continue her work and to expand it to help with unprecedented world crises, which she could not ignore. With the help and encouragement from her ex-colleague, Noah Bernstein, and Dutch charity connection, Max Venistra, she, she set up Goods for Good in 2014. She started the charity from her living room table, determined to address the imbalance she saw in the world between those who have so much and those who have too little. As the charity approaches its seventh birthday, it has helped over 3 million people globally receive the essentials that they can neither afford nor have access to. Oh my gosh, Rosalind, that is such a vision and I'm excited to hear more about that. But first, I want to tell our listeners also about Naomi Kitchen. She is the marketing and communications manager for Goods for Good. She has been working with Goods for Good since 2020, uh, joined right in the middle of COVID crisis, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I keep meeting more and more people who had job changes during that time. And yeah. Interesting. yeah. Um, following the birth of her daughter, she was keen to find a role that delivered on her passion for working with organizations that have social purpose. A communications professional, she has nearly 20 years experience working with trusts and non-for-profit organizations. Having seen firsthand how life circumstances can change in a moment, she's driven to use her years of expertise to help those less fortunate than herself. At 16, she lost an aunt to a road accident, and when her parents took in the three cousins, she went from the oldest of three to the oldest of six. Tragically, her youngest brother, who suffered from mental health condition bipolar, uh, completed suicide 10 years ago. These events have contributed massively to the person Naomi is, is today and why the role at Goods for Good is such a perfect fit for her. Since working with Goods for Good, she has worked to refocus the marketing efforts and place the people and charity support at the center of all that they promote. By focusing on the impact of the work that charities achieve, she hopes to widen the charity's networks, donors, founders, and volunteers. And that's partly why I love sharing this story is that we want to help widen that. We want to expose uh, more people to the good that you're doing and see if we can increase your, your reach to see what we can do. So ladies, again, thank you. That was a really big, long introduction, but you deserve every <laughs> word of those that, that we said. So thank you again for being here. Um, so tell us, let's, Rosalind, let's start with you. Tell us something unique about you and something that brought you joy or made you smile this week. Okay, something unique about me. So um, I think as you mentioned, um, I got into this sort of, um, I started working in the charity sector after many years, mostly in the commercial sector. Um, and I started 
in 2002 and I fell into the charity sector by accident. And um, during my time um, working in the charity sector, running the humanitarian aid delivery, uh, we were at a team meeting and somebody said, ask me, uh, ask the team, have you ever volunteered? And I'm just thinking, hmm, have I ever volunteered? And I'd actually forgotten that part of my life when I was 14 and I was a volunteer for task force and was working with the elderly. And then suddenly I had this sort of light bulb moment and I thought, oh, well, maybe that's why I'm doing what I'm doing today. It was actually, although I came from a very um, needy sort of family, we were really, my parents really struggled to clothe us and to feed us. Um, we we were very charity charitable, and all the clothes that we grew out of my mum used to just pass them on to a charity. Um, so we were always brought up in that way. Um, so that's the first part of the question. I guess that's something. I guess that this is inbred in me, and I guess I've had a lot of experience in export and. Uh, in the commercial world, but I, I, I love the charity, the charity sector, and it was quite serendipity how I how I saw a job advertised, and I thought, oh, that sounds really interesting. I didn't actually have a, a passion to join the charity sector, but I fell into it by accident, and just really love it. That's great. So, what brought you joy this week, or made um, you smile? Yes, what made me smile. We were, Naomi and I were speaking to one of our corporate donor companies, a company called Uniqlo, which is a Japanese company. They're an international company. They have, I think, about uh, 17 or 18 big retail outlets in in the UK. And uh, they have a new team. And we spoke to them. And it was a wonderful, wonderful meeting with them. And they have been uh, supplying huge volumes of uh, overstock goods, samples, and um, also they collect in-store pre-loved clothing, and they supply that pre-loved clothing to Goods for Good. Um, And the wonderful thing is that they are embedded in our ethos so the idea is for them to help us from a to z that means not only do they donate the goods but they also help us with the transportation of the good goods so we we are a small team and uh, our capacity is small here in the uk um and i guess we've managed to do what we've done with the help of a dutch charity partner which i'm pro- sure i will tell you about um, a little way along, but the uh, Uniqlo also have a, a big um, warehouse in Amsterdam. So it's it's um, it's a wonderful synergy, and it was just a, a wonderful meeting. It was so positive in every way. Um, and after that conversation, they sent us sort of twenty boxes or just over twenty boxes of sample goods for use here in the UK uh, for some of the needy projects that we're working with. Oh, that sounds like a very profitable meeting for everyone. That's exciting. It's always fun to make those new connections. 
Uh, Naomi, tell me something unique about you and something that brought you joy this week. Um, I think probably a bit like Roz, it was a quite quite an interesting process leading up to today and us talking. And obviously, when you ask these questions, you think, oh, actually, when it's about you, you know, it's actually the, probably the hardest question of all that we've been we've been chatting about. Um, but I think in terms of it's probably the I'm trying to kind of, I guess, like join the, let's say, the personal with the with the work, and I think I, I'm somebody who, as I said, is quite driven by, you know, personal stories and being able to kind of help people. Um, and when I lost my brother, um, I actually decided that I was going to run a marathon and raise money um, for a charity that supported people who um, were contemplating suicide. Um, so I think probably something that's unique about me is that when I'm doing something for somebody else I find it much easier <laughs> than doing it for myself um but I seem to find this kind of inner something that kind of really drives me and I'd, I'd never run a marathon and I don't know for anybody that doesn't know what marathon is it's um 26 point well in the UK actually it's slightly longer it's 26.2 miles um than your average I think the usual marathon is 26 miles so somehow I managed to train for that and raise over 1500 pounds for um a charity as I said that supported people that have um uh, completed suicide so that's probably something unique about me um I haven't ever run one since <laughs> it was pretty hard work but yeah that's uh, probably something quite unique I guess that is uh, do you think you'll run more um I don't know I think the, the idea would be nice I think I'm somebody that kind of once I've done something and I can tell myself I've achieved it I then look to the next and go right what can I do now so yes. um I think that's really part of my nature so maybe but I'd have to definitely be fitter than I am now mm-hmm. sure. no I understand sure, yeah. I understand yeah. yes COVID has definitely done that to a lot of us <laughs> as well <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. yes yes um so something that brought you joy, something with your baby girl maybe this week that makes yeah, you smile? Yeah, so um, actually, yeah, funny enough, uh, she always is a source of joy. I can't say that um, pre her that I ever woke up so happy. She kind of bounds in and jumps all over me. But um, I think actually it was yesterday evening she decided that she was tired enough that she pulled herself up and over the bars and into her own cot and got into bed, which was... <laughs> As any parent will know, putting a, a child putting themselves to bed absolutely brings joy. So yeah, for me, personally, <laughs> that was a moment of joy. <laughs> yes, that will bring you joy, and it will probably <laughs> never happen again because they exactly. they, they that that's unheard of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> How old is she? She's twenty months. Yeah. Oh my so, gosh! And she yeah. put herself to bed. That's she did. Oh. Yeah. Um, thank oh, you. Wow. I have uh, video evidence because at first I couldn't believe what was happening. And I thought well, I have to have to do this, so I recorded it. So I've got that for, like you say, it'll never happen again. So I've got that moment recorded. Yes. Yes. You got a few <laughs> extra minutes to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Oh, I love it. So I, I want to start with Rosalind with why and how you started Goods for Good. And we'll talk more about how um, it has grown, that you have projects all over the UK, the Philippines, uh, Kurdistan, Ukraine, Romania. But let's go to the genesis, to the beginning. What you, you talked about it a little bit, that charity has just kind of been part of your life and growing up a home in a home where, you know, things were tight. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners can appreciate the the hand-me-downs and and sometimes you're just going to eat 
beans and rice and mac and cheese and and that's a normal part of how it is but that how that um just inspired you to create this whole organization that's helped millions around the world Okay, well, as I said, I sort of fell into the charity sector because um, I'd been in um, the commercial sector and also in the startup sector. Um, and I saw this job advertised um, uh, in, back in 2000, end of 2001. And I was really thrilled when I got it. And I was working for WJR. Um, for 12 years and they decided to um, stop the humanitarian aid delivery side of what they did and I was uh, heading a team of four people we had our own warehouse we had you know 250 odd volunteers involved uh, driving collecting packing sorting fundraising um for the program and um, they decided to stop it. And um, at the time that we were writing to the our charity p- partners overseas in Moldova, Ukraine, Romania, uh, Belarus at that time, um, the charity partners were, were shocked and they said, well, how will we get nappies for our children? How can we how can we clothe and put get shoes you know this is crucial um and at that stage i said well i can put you in touch with our dutch charity the dutch charity partner who i know is keen to continue this work and i'm sorry there's nothing that i can do personally and that's really when this sort of um little light bulb again came up in my head and I thought, well, I would love to continue. And basically, after a few conversations with the Dutch charity partners and uh, Max Veenstra actually came to London to speak to me and he said, I want you to set this up. I want you to do this. Um, And we sort of, the the program that I'd run had been so successful in in the quantities that we'd been able to deliver over 12 years um and also i'd learned on the job the um the complexity of exporting humanitarian aid to countries in eastern europe and former soviet union each one was unique with its paperwork with its customs requirements and it was complex um and after discussions with uh, max um, I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll volunteer, I'll volunteer, and I'll just carry on sourcing goods, and you process it. And he said, no, um, I want you on this properly. I want you to be on this full time. Um, and that's how it started. That's how Goods for Good w- was born. And um, previously, the program at WJR was called in, uh, Gifts in Kind. Uh, and I didn't really all the time thought, well, what does gifts in kind mean? I want a name that says, that's on the label, goods for a good cause. So that's how Goods for Good was born. And um, as you said, with, uh, with I, I spoke to sort of uh, a few of my colleagues um, who, and especially Noah Bernstein, we had a, a coffee 
Um, and I said, well, this is what I'm thinking of doing. He was a very big fan of the, of the program that I ran and he loved coming to the warehouse and talking to all the volunteers and mucking in and helping to sort and pack goods. Um, I said, am I mad? What do you think? And he said, you know, anything I can do to help you, you let me know. And today he's our chair uh, of our trustees and he's been his knowledge um, in the field of international development is huge. And now he's um, working for another charity, but he is a, a volunteer, like, as all our trustees are, and gives us great advice and leads the trustees' uh, meetings and advises during the year. So it's, it's, that's, that's how Goods for Good was born. It's such a brilliant concept because, like you said, that you know, there's a lot of people and businesses that have overflow that have too much, uh, and just connecting those causes. And like you said, the the intricate details of knowing the ropes and this country, you have to fill out this paperwork to make it happen, and you have to talk to this guy in the Ukraine to make this happen, and just those relationships that you had built before. Um, I'm sure went a long way to be able to continue doing that. And just the, the gumption, I guess, I don't know if that's the right word, just to say to continue to do it, because I can't even imagine the hoops you all have to jump through on a daily basis uh, to make things yeah. work. I mean, that's, yeah. and like you said, creating that new partner in Japan and they're willing to help you with the export. That has to be a huge relief. Yeah. Uh, and just the day to day. Yes, no, absolutely. Um, and, you know, as I sat at my dining room table in June 2014 or May, when I started March, March, April, May, I was sort of thinking and trying to formulate a plan and putting together a sort of a strategy and a small business plan. Um, I wondered, would these corporate companies speak to me as a person who hadn't registered a charity yet. So I didn't have a number. I wasn't official. I was a woman of 60 with an idea, but really determined to make it happen. And I started off really gingerly calling up uh, a, a few of these companies. And I said, oh, I, you know, I, you know, how, how are you doing? Um, do you remember me? Well, of course we remember you. Where have you been? We've got loads of stuff waiting here for you. We don't know what to do with it. So this is the whole thing. You know, companies have volumes of goods that either last season or slight seconds in so much that maybe the buttons, the color of the buttons aren't right or the color of the cotton that they're, you know, they've been sewn with. Um, they have huge volumes and it, and it causes them a problem. It's actually causing them a problem taking up expensive space in, in their warehouse. And what many companies don't know that there is a tax incentive for them to give those goods away for zero. That's the way it works in the UK. So you've bought goods in from maybe China or from wherever. You've spent X amount of money. Those goods are not fit for purpose or their last year's, their last winter's season and they haven't sold well. And they want, the company wants to bring in new stock. So it makes sense for them to give those goods away for zero. 
you know, at zero cost to a charity. And the reason why they don't sell those on to another, you know, maybe to uh, an individual who's working on the street markets or something like that is because they want to protect their brand. They don't want to be competing with their high street stores by giving, selling these off at, for peanuts, basically, and, and then um, somebody outside their store is selling these for, you know, $5 instead of $50. Um, and, and sort of, so, so that's the reason why it's better for them to give the, give the goods to us. Mm-hmm. So it's good business for them, but it also creates um, community awareness, I would say, or raise their um, community mindedness. Uh, with people knowing, hey, we donate these items and they go to this country and help do this, you know, so it's a win-win situation. So, I mean, we're, uh, yeah, we're really, sorry, we're really keen to talk about the work that we do with these companies together. And that's where Naomi does a great job for us. You know, um, we, most of the companies are keen uh, for that to happen, I would say ninety nine percent of the companies we deal with are keen to talk about that because you know this um, something called the kindness economy, so if you know like I love those words behind you, be kind so if you 're a company and you 're doing something charitable and you let the world know about it, we the consumers, we love to hear that story. And it means that if you have a choice from going to three stores to buy shoes, you're going to, you know, shoes may be similar, but you're going to go to the company that you know have a charitable ethos, that they are giving goods away to homeless people or or they're helping people overseas. Yeah, absolutely. We found the same thing. We say, you know, when we get that 1% of a business who doesn't want to share their stories of good, we say it's not about bragging. It's about inspiring others to do their own good, right? We can't all do the same good. We need to do different things. And and your community needs to know what, what cool things that you're doing um, because not only do they want to do business with you, but employees want to work for businesses who are doing that kind of good thing in the community. So it's very important to share. It's very important to share. I'm sure that COVID has brought you all many new opportunities. Um, share with us some of the projects you've done. Maybe you guys can share a favorite. I don't know if it's hard to, to choose a favorite one, but tell us maybe, I don't know, I may not have listed all the places that you have provided aid and maybe some specific ways that you, you know, like this country needs this more than anything, or this situation required this. Um, I just love to hear the uniqueness of each uh, location. Well, it's interesting because things happened locally and uh, in a big way that changed the way we operate during, we operated during COVID. Um, But certainly overseas, which was paused for probably two and a half months where we had pallets of goods sitting waiting to go and we couldn't ship them uh, and the trucks um, that were coming over you know there were restrictions on the drivers so we took a step back and we saw locally that um, there was a need here in the UK that the, fir- the first thing that we heard about were 
was that hospital staff were unable to get, get to the shops because there was panic buying and the hospital staff were going shopping for their basic essentials, for things like nappies or hygiene goods or and food. Uh, and they were getting to the sh- to the stores and the shelves were empty by the time they came off their shifts. So not only were they exhausted from their shifts, but also really frustrated uh, that they couldn't get their, their shopping. So we had goods in our uh, facility and we decided to utilise those goods locally and to supply those hospitals that were in our vicinity. So I contacted the hospitals to verify that they needed, you know, what they needed, what goods were needed. And immediately we started to mobilise volunteers who were happy to drive, who were happy to come out. We provided them with masks, with a letter of authority, uh, and all the uh, drop-offs that they made to the local hospitals of these basic things um, were coordinated with the hospital uh, charity department. So that was happening, and also uh, food banks that people, again, the basic things were, were off the shelves, and, you know, people who were struggling um, and going, relying on the food banks were, so we started to supply those goods and we started to to source goods that we hadn't normally sourced before. Um, so certainly food items, dried food items like pasta and um, biscuits and snacks for, for, for mostly for hospital workers or for care workers, uh, those were the sort of things. And we suddenly found ourselves really really busy locally and and that was a huge shift for us because previously to that we'd worked with um, asylum seekers and refugee drop-in centres supplying them with uh, diapers uh, for adults and children, hygiene goods and clothing, pre-loved clothing um, uh, and new underwear. So that's what we've been doing. So we were probably working with maybe 15 local charities and and today we're working with over 50 so that Mm -hmm. that's been a huge uh, rise for us absolutely I love that you're able to do that pivot to keep things local to help I mean instead of just stopping right you could have just said okay COVID is shutting us down we're just going to stop for a while no you had items you wanted to help people so you were able to help people in your own backyard, right? And especially the health healthcare workers that were having a hard time, you know, being able to get things they were, you know, just taxed. And listeners, uh, I didn't share this with you, but Rosalind had a major health issue last year as well. And it didn't stop her as either. She just kept going and kept pursuing. Um, Naomi... What's good, people? Hey, this is Hetty again. I just want to, first of all, let's give a shout out to Tracy, our great host uh, for the conversation around good podcasts. We also want to give a shout out to another one of our sponsors, and that sponsor is Plenty Mercantile. We love, love, love the team at Plenty Mercantile. They have been great supporters of our platform 
And so we're thankful that they are now sponsoring this podcast so that we can get great stories, inspiring stories out to you, the listener. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the story. It's been around since 2012. They have several locations. They have one in uh, downtown Oklahoma City in the historic Automobile Alley. They have one in Edmond at Spring Creek and then also one in Chisholm Creek. And uh, the downtown store has a great rooftop venue and a warehouse for events. So uh, please check them out. You can go to their website at www.plentymercantile.com. And there you'll also find all their social handles. I follow them. Uh, the Made Possible team follows them. So we want you to go follow them as well. And they would love to meet you. So go ahead and stop by one of their locations and just always remember shopping uh, at local retailers make makes a big difference. All right, let's jump into this episode. I'm tossing it over to Tracy. When people ask you about your business, what do you say? How do you describe your products or services? Are you selling yourself short because you just can't put it into words? You're good at what you do, but it's not always easy to communicate how you're great at your work with simplicity. But now you have help. My friend Andrea at Strategic Hype will help you clarify your mission and communicate your value with a hype kit. This process will help you cut through the noise and share the best of what you do. We recently did a hype kit for Made Possible By, and it has allowed us to really simplify our message in order to get greater reach. For details on all the good stuff you'll get out of this hype kit, email andrea at strategic-hype.com or reach out to us and we will personally connect you. Do you have a favorite project or something that you've been able to be a part of or that you've seen? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, actually what you just said there about Rosalind, um, she's an incredible woman. So it's not just, you know, she is goods for good and and is kind of inspiring for me every day and I think given what you just said you know she had major major surgery and all the stuff that she just described that we've been doing um you know through the pandemic I joined goods for good kind of the back end of last year so whilst we're still obviously all going through what we're going through um I hadn't hadn't been on the in the entire journey um despite doing all of that and us being a very very small team um we've also managed to launch two quite large initiatives one's called sport for good and one's called prams for good um you can see we kind of got a bit of a theme going on here um but both of those are, are um, i guess quite close to my heart because i've been able to be involved from the start but it was just kind of taking us on that next journey so sport for good for example you know since we started seven years ago we've worked with organizations like uniqlo nike puma adidas and we've we've delivered sports kits and footwear to communities, whether it's in the UK or overseas, um, and you know that's supporting local com- community football leagues, holiday programs, disadvantaged children, that type of thing. And that's something we've kind of just done 
as part and parcel of um, our day to day. But earlier this year, we decided that we were going to kind of, let's say, formalize that um, and um, work with organizations to kind of take it to the next level, really. So, you know, we, we kind of know that sports based programs um, they promote inclusion, create opportunities, um, you know, that wouldn't necessarily be there, whether it's kind of, you know, creating trust, healthy communities, all those kind of things. Um, and so we, we've been kind of driving that forward. We started the pilot, pilot in March this year. And, um, you know, that's kind of going from strength to strength. And, you know, as I said before about the people, the stories that we hear back from, you know, one in particular on that particular project where there's a, a football programme for, I think it's about 50, 50 boys locally, um, both um, from kind of disadvantaged backgrounds and, and refugee um, children who... Um, wouldn't have the means or the access to be able to just go and play football so it's something we kind of take for granted um but what that gives them is you know by us giving them that clothing that footwear giving them that access to those things they've got access to um mentors um they've got um access to um uh you know role models um and that's something that's really really powerful um, and, and potentially life-changing. And I think that's something that really kind of um, drives me. It's just, it's not just the individual and the story, which a lot of the time I kind of find myself welling up at my my laptop quite regularly. Um, but actually the fact that the work that we're doing changes the course of people's lives, you know, and, and uh, you know, a young individual who could be, find themselves in you know very different circumstances very different um, groups of people have access to the this this healthier um lifestyle and I don't just mean by being active but by being you know having um access to people that can really support them and um change their life course so um yeah I think sport for good is is something that I'm I'm really passionate about and not least just because I've kind of been able to see it from the start but I just think the impact that we're seeing um just at early stages is is really powerful and moving hmm. I, I love anything that was is with kids is you know just glorious for sure but being able to provide some normalcy just being able to do something as simple as providing football gear or you know for especially refugee children who their lives probably we probably can't even imagine what it looks like, you know, yeah. I mean, not having a permanent place or, I mean, there's many different levels uh, there, but just being able to feel included and, mm -hmm. and being able to go out and play sports with their peers. And like you said, to have mentors who are there and care about them and are consistent in their lives. That's, that's a huge thing. That's a huge yeah. thing. And, and what a cool thing. Go, go, go. Oh, no, I was just going to say that. I think that's the thing that I, um, sometimes struggle with but to try and get across in the work that we kind of promote is that actually to you or I that kind of that link between a pair of trainers or a or a hoodie or whatever it may be how how can that have such power um, and actually for some of these whether it's kids um, or whether it's adults some of them haven't even they don't even own a pair of shoes or a pair of shoes that would keep their feet warm dry and and actually when you start to think and break that down it's something that we hugely take for granted um 
and whether that's you know even just you know personally with my daughter you know she's walking you know getting her footwear you know people that aren't able to do that with their children which developmentally is um hindering them um because they can't have access to those really basic things so it's um yeah it, it, it's it's kind of getting that across it it's more than just a pair of shoes and what that does and it's it's um yeah it's quite profound really it is it's those small things that we like you said take for granted that make such a huge difference mm-hmm. um so tell me about like what countries have you been able to bring aid to and how has that changed after COVID? Are you still able to do the same as it opened up more? Are they mostly refugee camps? Um, just give us some more details, what that looks like. Okay. Well, with the oversi- overseas side, um, we have uh, struggled with certain countries, but certainly in the Middle East, um, we have, uh, responded to SOSs from various countries um, in the Middle East and especially um, northern Iraq. Um, so, there, uh, you know, it's really quite unbelievable. Uh, and actually, this is probably one of the reasons when I, why I decided I had to do something when back in 2013, 14, and we saw you know, all these refugees, we heard about the war in Syria. And, you know, back in 2014, you saw people being washed up on beaches and, and the boats. And I just thought, how are these mothers going to cope with babies in arms and, you know, walking in Europe for being sort of pushed from pillar to post with nowhere to go. And, how are they going to sleep with their children? And I, I couldn't sleep just thinking about it. And that's really what gave me the determination. Um, when you think that today there are 80 million displaced people in the world, you know, it's unfathomable even to think of that quantity of people. Um, um, so we're, we're working um, in Eastern Europe as well, in Romania, Moldova, mostly with the, this uh, abject poverty. Um, and it's easy for us to get the shipments uh, in. It's pretty easy for us because we're working with charity partners who have the expertise also to deal with the importation because we're exporting. They're importing. They have to deal with the customs their end. Um, so yes, we've sent, we've shipped to the Philippines. We've actually shipped to 24 countries over four continents, uh, during sort of these seven years. Uh, and we've exported, I think it's, um, 24 million pounds worth of goods, which is, um, I can't remember how much it is in dollars. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's uh, it's uh, thirty three million, thirty three million dollars worth of goods that otherwise may have gone into landfill. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the thing. So you know we're doing good. We're helping people. We're helping the environment, and companies donating these goods to us are also helping the environment because you know when a company has has these goods uh, surplus you know, what, what are their options? You know, their options 
very often they will decide to landfill these goods, you know, which is 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 just a crime, you know, for these goods to go up in smoke uh, or, or to go into the land um, from all points of view. So we we know, we know how to do this, and um, the need is huge. We uh, Naomi and yourself mentioned we are a small team. There are actually uh, two full time people and two part time people. Uh, and for three and a half years, I worked on my own. Uh, a lot of the time, six months really from this dining room table until I found a free space, a small warehouse to work from. So we've managed to do this all on um, sort of shoestring budget with a small, small team. Uh, recently, we added two part-time people with the help of the National Lottery funding. Um, and, of course, we have to mention our amazing volunteers because we've had volunteers all along, right from the beginning when I set it up, and when you think about volumes of goods that need to be sorted, uh, what we run is a dignity program. So we never send anybody something that is dirty or smelly or or torn uh, because we want that person to feel mm. wowed by what he's being given, you know, so he's getting a new pair of shoes or almost new pair of shoes. So we couldn't have done that um, without the help of volunteers. And, and it's, it's been a really uh, diverse um, group of volunteers. I like interfaith volunteering. So we sort of really reached out to churches and synagogues and mosques and, and brought people together, maybe a few people with also uh, learning disabilities who came in with uh, their, their carers. Uh, and we used to have these lovely um, almost sort of social occasions where people came in two or three times a week. Uh, unfortunately, since COVID, we've had to stop that. And since then, we've, we moved our operation to a place that's not really big enough for us, but it's what we could afford. Um, for the future, we, we, we dream of not having to worry about uh, paying our rent or and, and, and we'd like to expand our operations so that we can help even more people because we're constantly thinking about about the rent and the salaries and and also we have shipments often waiting in the warehouse in in Amsterdam you know we have to pay for those goods to be shipped to northern Iraq so to to send a truck to northern Iraq it could cost something like maybe seven thousand dollars for the for the for the truck to go overland um and to, to reach the destination and for all the handling uh, on the way so we 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 need to have sponsorship we need to have the money in the bank to pay all the expenses um and going forward i'm 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 determined to make that happen. I will, that's the legacy that I'm working towards um, and and all the team are, are sort of trying to help and find ways of raising awareness, uh, ra awa raising more funds so we can do more and finding those companies who 
are prepared to share the load with us, not only to give the goods to us, but also to go the extra mile, to go to the end to deliver those goods. And in fact, when I was in Moldova recently, uh, just before the pandemic, uh, Max and myself and Esther from from uh, Esther from uh, from the Dutch charity, we went to Moldova, and um, again, I've been there many times before with my previous charity. We we saw the great need, and we made a commitment to send one truck every single month. So we're talking about a forty foot truck. Uh, and on that truck, on every truck, is about a quarter of a million pounds worth, which is probably $300,000 worth of goods. Cost is high, but it's not high in comparison to what we are sending over. So, Naomi, you're the marketing genius. Give us the URL or the best way for people to get a hold of you if they want to sponsor um, or maybe there's businesses listening that have supplies that they would like to contribute where do they go to get a hold of you all so I think probably the easiest thing in terms of the website is it's uh, www.goodsforgood.org.uk and um, we've made it quite easy so if you want to donate it's just the same forward slash donate um, and then in terms of if you want to get in touch um, again nice and easy it's info at goodsforgood.org.uk um, so it's yeah I think it was something that I you know I'm always learning <laughs> and Ros and I are always chatting and I'm always picking things up and and one of the things that you know I've kind of you know got to to learn recently is that I think it's something like 40 percent is it Ros of the goods that we deliver we have to purchase ourselves so um you know one of Ros's mantras is I want to do more I want to reach more people and I and, and I kind of feel like I, that's through osmosis is in me now and I'm the same but there's a limit to what we can do if we don't have the funds so whether that's you know like what said whether that's the the building by which we house the goods whether it's getting the goods from the people that have donated it to the people that need it um whether it's actually sometimes purchasing those goods and um, you know that all all costs money and things that people don't necessarily know so that 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 has a cost to it so um yeah, it isn't just kind of keeping us, I think you said it right at the beginning, it's not just kind of standing still. That's not just keeping us ticking over. It's like we want to just always keep going and doing more. Um, and I think since, so what was it, now we've we've um, supported over 3 million people um, globally. And, you know, on such a small team, that's, that's pretty phenomenal stuff. And, you know, but that's such a fraction in terms of the 80 million people that are displaced across the globe. So, um, yeah. We, the sky's the limit if we've got the money in the bank. That's right. Okay, so reach out, people, to the website. You can donate a small amount. You can donate large amounts. So what what would be your your dream connection? Like, do you need maybe maybe we have a listener who has a warehouse that's empty right now, or we have a company. Maybe we have a large a clothing company that's listening and they have all these clothing companies. Do you, what, do you have a dream situation or a great connection, maybe an export? I don't know. What would be a great connection for you guys? Well, I mean, we'd love to hear from companies that have uh, extra capacity of some kind that either have goods or either have, um, you know, warehousing that was 
in a manageable place, uh, you know, because obviously, ideally, if that was in the UK, um, but also possibly in Europe, um, we do have a UK, uh, sorry, USA uh, connection with another charity called um, Good360, um, which is a sort of well-known charity, and they sort of collaborate with us um, and, and introduce us to donors that have uh, branches in Europe uh, and goods in Europe. So that that is wonderful to do that. We love collaborating. Um, an ideal, a dream of ours would be really to have a, a long-term partnership either with a corporate, with a corporation or with a philanthropist that really uh, wanted to invest in good uh, and really to be a stakeholder in what we were doing um so because you know sometimes you 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 have a, do a donor that will say okay I'll give you I don't know 20,000 whatever uh and you take on possibly you can think oh well I can pay a salary for a year but then what happens after the year you've taken somebody on and then you have this worry so in an ideal scenario it would be wonderful and and not greedy to ask to have a sort of a longer term relationship so that we can commit uh to either us uh, taking a bigger space or bringing in uh, a community professional to mobilize more people to to get involved with us i think that would be a dream um i, I you know i i do believe that we are going to grow and um you know, it would be wonderful if if your listeners uh, would reach out and get involved with us. We would love to hear from them. We really would. We have we're working with a we we're working with a corporate in the north of England that give us space and they load our trucks for us, which is fantastic. And they love to do that. That's a company called Dune. I must give them a shout, Dune London. So their team absolutely love what we do, and they go they do some logistics for us and they, they load our trucks up for us um, and they really can't do enough for us. They donate goods for us, to us, um, for distribution as well. Um, but I, I think this sort of model is, is a model that could actually work anywhere. Um, you know, so if we were looking at sort of somebody that really wanted to invest in the model you know, what, why couldn't Goods for Good operate in France and help people in France? Why couldn't Goods for Good work in Hungary or places like that? Um, obviously, this is a sort of a, a dream, I guess, but uh, because I, I can actually hear Noah whispering in my ear, Ros, focus on what we've got and stop dreaming too, too much, you know. But... Um, you know, we, we need to, we do need to, I'm pulling myself in here, we need to sort of get our model operating and, and financial, financially uh, viable as far as the funding is concerned. And then if that was working, then why not if there was somebody, you know, who, who had the capacity and capability to set this up? Because it is working in Holland, and although the charity is, is not called Goods for Good in Holland, um, they, they have another name. They wanted us to be unique in our – we are sort of sister charities, 
Um, but certainly this sort of model could work anywhere. Oh, absolutely. And I say dream big. Why not, right? Let's 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 franchise good. Let's franchise <laughs> it and get it all over the place. That's right. So listeners, reach out, reach out to Miss Roslyn and Naomi. They can help you get started or if you want to donate or you have supplies or you have connections, we want to hear about them. We definitely want to hear about them. So you all work with a lot of businesses and we hear a lot about corporate social responsibility and businesses and, and how important that is. Um, so how would you guys define that? What does that look like for you, for a, a corporation to be socially responsible? Yeah, I was, I, was, Ros and I were talking about this recently, actually, because Ros wrote, wrote a blog, um, I think it was called When the Green Economy Becomes the Kindness Economy. So we had a big discussion around this. Um, and one of the kind of points that came out of that was, I think, what uh, an organisation deems corporate social responsibility to be and the, and the boxes that they tick to be part of that versus those that actually live and breathe it and have the ethos of that. And I think that probably is reflected in what we were saying earlier about the 99% of the organisations that we work with, you know, really understand it, they align with us, they kind of, you know, um, work with us. And then there are others, sadly, that just want to get rid of stuff. And we're useful to them uh, we're, we're happy with that that's fine but um obviously we prefer the, the former to the latter so um I don't know if this kind of tees this up for you Roz but it's um I think there's a huge difference between what people um do to as I say tick the box and then what it really should be um and if it's a true corporate social responsibility it has to be in every thread of an organization and the employees have to kind of live and breathe that and um, promote it um, but that's just yeah my kind of thoughts and just off the back of a conversation we've had recently but um I that kind of I say tease that up nicely for you Ros in terms of <laughs> what, it, what it is versus what it should be there you go when a company is really um has this sort of strong CSR policy and and it's embedded in their staff and they get their staff to volunteer and they encourage um, charity. Um, the company is doing so much more than they think they're doing um, to sort of give a good feeling Um about their brand, about who they are, who the uh, management team are, um, and also companies' um, reputation is concerned. So, you know, customers love to hear these stories, I think. And, um, for example, recently we had um, a donation of – 150,000 pairs of children's shoes. Uh, it's a lot of shoes, a lot of shoes. And they've been rejected and we're not allowed to mention the company uh, because it's a high-branded a high company. And I, 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 I just thought, you know, it's it's such a shame. That, that means also that we're not allowed to show any pictures of their boxes of shoes once they're delivered in Moldova. And we've had some wonderful pictures back but we had to tell the charity partners not to put the boxes in just show the children wearing the shoes um 
Um, and I, I just think it, it's such a shame they don't really get it. Um, and and it is sort of comes from the from the from the management. I mean, um, and yet we work with other companies like Dune, where they're, they're so engaged with us and and ticking all of those boxes um, for us. And um, you know, we just say, oh, you know, there's some goods um, next. I've got some goods in in um, Leicester. You know, do you think you can? pick it up and then the next thing you know the manager of the warehouse has taken time in his lunch lunch hour and he's gone immediately to pick them up you know so that's the sort of engagement uh and sort of dedication through you know so that we have with some of the some of the companies um who who go that extra mile because the the we when we in turn we we give we share stories they get our newsletter that's another thing if people want to just sign up for our newsletter and it, uh, you know that's on the website you could just without any commitment just sort of log on and uh, sign up and see what we're doing there's also access to previous uh, blogs and newsletters there so you can just sort of sign up for that without any commitment if you're not sure. Um, or want to find out more um, with the pandemic now it's almost you, you can't you can't not focus on it as an organization anymore I think everybody is much more acutely aware of um, you know kind of living in a way where you can't just go down to the grocery store and get whatever you fancy um, actually for maybe in some places still but you know you can't go down to the grocery store or if you do you have to queue for a long time or there's only limited things that you can buy um so you know it, it shifted our way of buying i think it shifted our way of um, looking at organizations and what they're doing for the environment you know we've only touched upon it very in a very small part because you know we've been looking at the people that we support as well but you know the planet that we live in um you know and since we've existed we've saved over i think it's over 500 tons of goods going to landfill or incineration mm. um which you know equates to something like 650 tons of co2 emissions you know i think we all exist on this planet and we you know we we take from it um and we need to be able to give back to be able to sustain that and i think business works in the same way and um, particularly now when people are looking to businesses that I think you said at the beginning, you know, that relationship that they can buy into something that isn't just on buying a pair of shoes or on buying, um, you know, uh, uh, a, a shower gel that I, you know, really love um, and have always loved. It's 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 got to um, work from an ethical and an environmental perspective as well. Mm. Well, and that's where you all, I'm going to use your term, tick the boxes, in that <laughs> you are helping companies um, take care of things that would normally just sit in a warehouse for them that's costing them money. Um, you're giving it to people who have a need. That company is saving money. They're um, giving back to the community and able to raise their um, their value in the community in doing that. You're taking things that would normally go in the landfill. I mean, it's a win-win right? For everyone all around. And I love that both of you said that the for CSR to really work for a business, for a company, that it needs to be embedded into not just the management, the employees, 
The employees need to see it. They need to buy in. And we're seeing more and more of organizations giving the employees a voice in what they invest their dollars in and, and even giving them, um, hey, you, this department, you get this much money this month, go invest in that and, or go um, give to this or volunteer together, different kind of ways to give back. Because I think we, also, we always think it's writing a check, but sometimes mm-hmm. it's just spending the time to get out there and do that. So if you're companies that are listening and you're in the UK area, and you need a volunteer project, you can go do uh, some things with Goods for Good. I wish you could still do. I love that you called the Dignity Project and that you make sure that everything, uh, the previously loved clothing are clean and mended. I, I love that picture of being able to hand it to someone and them feel really great about themselves for having mm-hmm. a, a new pair of shoes or mm-hmm. uh, clothing or, be, or a mom being able to feed her child. You know, those, I love the dignity behind that. That's, that's a great definition. I really see you all as the hub for good that you connect <laughs> all of these different spokes together and keep that wheel going. That is just doing so much good all over the world. Uh, and I just thank you. Thank you, ladies, for for being out there and doing this. I mean, that's it's got to be exhausting. You have a very powerful dining room table, Rosalind. A lot of really neat things have have started from that table, and I I love hearing the stories how things start so small with just an idea, and and that your reputation was out there, that your friends and the businesses as well were like, where have you been? come on, let's get, you know, let's, we need to get this going. We're ready. We're ready to get started. So thank you for starting things at your dining room table. Rosalind, you've been all over the world um, with your goods, uh, helping people. Tell us about one particular story that really stuck with you. Okay. It's hard to choose one, but I will, uh, as you've asked. Um, I think it was in 2018, we had an SOS from Greece. Um, a lot of uh, uh, displaced people, families had arrived in Greece and the Greek islands. And one particular charity, a Norwegian charity, reached out to us. They'd been researching and they told us they needed 1,200 pairs of shoes. Uh, for men who had arrived were still in um, either flip-flop shoes or in um, trainers that they'd been wearing for two and a half years that were completely worn down and they sent us pictures of these um, trainers. And um, we managed to mobilize uh, a few companies, including Puma, and Nike to respond really quickly uh, and another company called Focus International. And very quickly we got those companies to send those goods directly to Greece. Uh, And a few months later I went over there myself uh, with Esther Vinstra from the other charity. We met at, uh, um, we met in Greece and we had an itinerary and we went to visit two partner charities there and we weren't expecting it to snow 
um, in Greece, but it did, and it was freak weather, and sometimes they do have the snow uh, over there. And luckily the day before, I'd Googled the weather and I saw snow and I rushed out and bought some jumpers. But uh, what I did see when we visited the drop-in centres where people were coming with their children and with buggies, uh, with prams that were empty, so they were coming to collect food. They were actually walking with through the snow with flip-flop shoes and no socks on. Uh, and it was really cold. I have got some pictures of, 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 of this that I took because it was unbelievable. It was really, really cold. And I was cold even with a coat and jumper um, and hats and gloves. And I, I, I contacted Esther and I said, by the way, it, it don't, you know, don't come without a coat and gloves and everything. She was so grateful, but these people, these poor souls, they, they, they didn't have winter clothing because they'd left in a hurry with just the things that they'd been, they could carry. And obviously sort of two, two and a half years down the line, the shoes that they had were completely we say in English, they were clapped out. They were completely not fit for, work, for, for, for wear. And that meant that the men couldn't get any casual work. They couldn't go to the beach and fish. They, could, they couldn't do anything for their families because they couldn't walk and they were in agony. So that's probably one of the mm. most impactful stories, uh, things that I've seen. And um I could tell you another or two, but maybe another time you will ask me for more stories. No, I'm sure that there's, I mean, clearly you've helped 3 million plus people. So there's many, many stories, many, many stories like that. Naomi, do you have a story of perhaps a refugee camp or a different place, maybe in the UK or someplace that really resonated with you? Um, yes, definitely. Um, I think there's, you know, there's lots of stories that kind of sit with me, but one that always comes to the surface when I kind of think about these things. Um, which are, we call him Kareem. Um, we have to change names for the, obviously the sensitivity of those those people that we support because of the backgrounds they come from. But for the purposes of this, we'll call him Kareem. Um, and he... Um, he had to flee his country when he was 15 years old. Um, his father was killed by the Houthi. Um, he found himself in Libya. He was trafficked, um, had his kidney forcibly removed, um, and then um, kind of lived in Egypt, Libya, appalling conditions, um, suffered abuse, um, and hadn't seen his mum for about four years. Um, so when he arrived in the UK um, at he was a child um, and uh, had experienced awful things that, by the grace of God, none of us would would ever have experienced. So to say that he was broken is probably an understatement. Um, but we will be able to to support um, Kareem um, through one of our charity organisations, and we delivered a variety of of, of goods um, from uh, uh, hygiene and toiletries through to footwear. Um, and the footwear um, allowed him to um, be part of one of the refugee um, football training sessions. Um, and um, we've had some really kind of touching images that have come through um, that has been shared with us about how it's really helped his mental health. 
he's been able to connect with others that actually have experienced things that he has, which um, you might think that's not necessarily a good thing, but actually to be able to know that you aren't alone and that you can maybe express yourself to somebody in a way that um, you couldn't because somebody literally couldn't comprehend what you've been through Um, and um, having access to people that can give him the emotional support that he um, he needs um, so as I said we, we, we donated a number of um, kind of items and goods to to him through um, our charity partner um, and he, he he basically said that um, he, he couldn't believe that somebody cared so much um, and that thought about him and even um. talking about it now it really sorry it really chokes me up and I thought I'd get through that actually I thought I nearly did it but um yeah I just I can't believe that somebody um could be through that and that we could give him such um basic things and that he could be so touched and overwhelmed that he would be so you know grateful and and thank thank us and say that you know that somebody had thought about him and he can't can't believe that so sorry I I choked but yeah that's just one that always sticks with me well, you should have that type of response hearing a story like that because, like you said, we couldn't, most people couldn't even fathom that type of a situation. And just hearing that he's in a safe place now and he has yeah. his needs met, um, that is that is so encouraging. And that's just one of the millions of people that you all have been able to help. Yeah. So thank you again, ladies, so much for taking the time to share the stories. I want to give you a chance one more time to give that URL people. So there's no excuses. It'll be in the links as well, but the more we hear something, the more we remember it. So go ahead, give us that URL one more time, Naomi. Absolutely. It's um, www.goodsforgood.org.uk. If you go to the website, you can find email address, but um, it is info at goodsforgood.org.uk. You can sign up to our newsletter via our website and be kept up to date about what we're doing, who we're helping. And we have a very active blog so you can um, learn about what we're doing and what we're thinking about doing, what our visions are. Um, and we are active on Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram and YouTube um, and the Instagram handle um, if you want to find us there because we keep that populated quite regularly with stories as well as content is Goods for Good UK. Well, ladies, thank you again for taking the time to share the story of Goods for Good and for continuing to do what you're doing. Miss Rosalind, don't ever get rid of that table. That table has been many, many things. Uh, It's exciting. It's so exciting. And Naomi, I hope your sweet little girl climbs into bed herself this evening for you. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Her dad's putting her down tonight, so I'm not so bothered. Oh, there you go. go. (laughs) Tracy, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to be on your podcast. And we're really excited. And um, when you want to hear more stories, please do call us again. And we'll keep you updated if we hear from any of your uh, listeners and followers. Absolutely. That's that's your call out for action out there, listeners. Get out there, reach out to Goods for Good. You know that your financial gift will go to make a huge impact somewhere in the world with someone who is struggling with the basic needs of things that we take for granted every day. 
don't forget to hit the like, share, tag buttons, uh, give us a podcast review, anything we can do to make good loud in the world. We appreciate you helping us with that. And if you know a business, an organization, an individual that's doing cool things in their community, we would love to hear about it. If you go to our website, madepossibleby.us and click podcast, there's a place that you can sign up uh, to tell that story. So get out there, people, and continue to do your own good. Thank you for joining us for another conversation around good. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss out on a story of good. Made Possible By makes giving easy for community-minded businesses and provides a better way to share their stories of good. Go to madepossibleby.us for more information or to sign up to be a guest on our podcast. Now, get out there and make good loud. Gonna have a good time. Gonna, 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 here, here, for conversation. Gonna have a good time. Say, 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 say,